Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to episode 54 of Empty Betters. I'm your host, Harrison Schultz, and I'm going to toss it across the table this time to my co-host, Nick Manella. What's going on, buddy? I am in a great mood today. It is always so nice when we actually get to do these things in person now. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like we get so used to doing them remotely, and it's just, you know, it's not the same. It's, you know, obviously Mac's not here with us today, and we're missing him, but it's definitely not the same when you do them remotely versus when you do them in person, so I'm fired up. Yeah, I think it's kind of sad that, like, we've become accustomed to the the online recording because, uh, for those who don't know, it was like every Monday night when we started uh, Nick and I would get together, have a couple beers, bullshit about where we're throwing a our couple. money. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, joke about where we're throwing our money and stuff. And it was a lot of fun. It was, that's kind of how this was all founded and it all started. And unfortunately, with the pandemic, it's kind of taken a turn and we've had to adapt. But uh, we get to squeeze in a couple live recordings every now and then. So uh, it's good to be in person. We'll actually be having a lot more in person uh, episodes, hopefully. Assuming things go as planned, we'll actually have Mac get to join us live sometime next week, which will be the first time all three of us get to record live, so we're very excited for that. Um, but we do have a big guest today. Nick, I'll let you unveil. Yeah, this is a really cool uh, get for us. We have Washington Capitol senior writer Mike Vogel. Uh, awesome interview with him. You guys are definitely not going to want to miss this one. Uh, just super insightful, and some of the stories he tells are just incredible. Yeah, he's been around the block uh, a while now. He's been with the Caps. I can't remember how long he said it. We did the interview probably over two weeks ago. We're recording right now on uh, December 28th, 2020. I think we did the interview about two weeks ago. I can't remember how long. He's been there for about 20 years, I want to say. Pretty much. Maybe longer. So he's been there since the start. He's seen the evolution of the Capitals. He's been there writing for them. Uh, every step along the way, and he has some great insight on the Caps and the evolution of how they've kind of become the powerhouse that they are now. I hate saying that out loud. Um, <laughs> get that fucking grin off your face. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're going to go right into that. We will probably be dropping another episode um, this week on New Year's Day. Wish there was a Winter Classic. Sadly, there isn't. Uh, we, but we got a lot of episodes coming. We've got some interviews banked already. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we have Mac coming into town, I think, next week. So we got a lot coming at you guys before the season starts on January 13th. Uh, but for this episode, we're going to basically just toss it off to uh, Mr. Vogel and kind of let him take the wheel for this episode. And we'll probably be back with you guys sometime later this week. Sounds good. But before we get to the interview... This interview with Mike Vogel is brought to you by Brackish Life. I'm actually looking at a nice box of merch that Brackish Life was nice enough to give us. We appreciate the love and support, but let's take a minute to talk about Brackish Life. For those of you who grew up on the water and in the outdoors like us, Brackish Life is definitely the brand for you. They have a wide selection of gear from UV shirts to hoodies and hats. I'm looking at this box right now. They also have face masks and... Uh, I couldn't remember. I can't see what else. There's is like in there. car decals in there, long sleeve, short sleeve. You know, they the got works. everything. Uh, they have a wide selection of all that outdoor gear made by real bay people. Head to brackish.life today to check them out. A little salty, a little fresh, brackish life. For those of you who don't know, Brackish Life has also teamed up with Rink to Reef Chesapeake Bay to preserve the area many of us call home. Rink to Reef repurposes broken hockey sticks into Oyster Restoration Habitats. Brackish Life donates a portion of their proceeds to Rank to Reef to further preserve the beautiful Chesapeake area. 
Support a great cause by checking out Brackish.life today. Thank you, Brackish Life, for being one of the best sponsors in the game. We appreciate all you've done for us. We're going to toss it off to Mike Vogel right now. All right, and uh, we're going to welcome on our interview guest now. This is uh, an extra special interview um, for me and for all of us, but um, I'd like to welcome my dad, uh, commonly known as Mike Vogel. Um, so how's it going? Pretty good, Mac. How are you? Harrison, Nick? Not so bad. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thanks Appreciate it. Yeah, so um, we're just going to, you know, as we typically do with these interviews, take us uh, take us through kind of um, how you got into hockey initially and then obviously talk a little bit about where you're at now and, and how you got there. So um, just to start it off, we'll keep it simple. Um, you know, what are your first kind of hockey memories and your first memories of, of getting into the sport when you were young? I remember my dad uh, put me on double runner skates when I was – you know, not, not old enough to, uh, to go to school yet. Um, and, and an outdoor rink in, in Lansing, Michigan, where I was born. And, um, you know, the best part of it for me at that point was going to this room and, um, being able to have hot chocolate by the fire afterwards. Um, but you know, after a while, uh, and it's weird too, cause my dad's not a big sports guy, but he played hockey in high school and that was the one sport that he would watch and, and that he was, he was into. Um, and then, you know, he was in the Navy and he got transferred to um, Massachusetts to Boston uh, in the late sixties. And uh, I was just a little kid. I think I was in second grade and we went there and all of a sudden, you know, you're in the midst of Bobby or Phil Esposito, all that stuff. And, you know, you're, you're going to school with kids who are, you know, who've grown up in it and, and are living and breathing it. And, you know, it, it took like no time to, to catch the bug. And all I wanted to do was play, uh, use my allowance to buy hockey cards, watch the ruins on TV. Um, and I could only stay up as late as the uh, I, could, I could watch two periods and I had to go to bed, you know, before the third period started. My dad would take a yellow legal pad and write out everything. Like it was like a score sheet, you know, um, three of the third Stanfield scored from Hodge and McKenzie, you know, he, all the, pe- all the penalties, everything that I missed. So when I woke up in the morning, he was gone already, but that, that yellow legal pad would be on the, on the breakfast table and I would get to see everything that I missed in the third period. Uh, you know, and then it, it got to the point where, you know, so when they won the Stanley Cup in 1970, I was nine and, you know, it was still one of the probably 10 best days of my life. Um, you know, it was just fantastic thing to, to be a part of, you know, having watched them all season and building up to that. Um, and, you know, we, we immediately, it was, it was like May 10th and we, we all went outside and took turns imitating Bobby Orr's game-winning goal. You know, we would we would do that kind of stuff constantly. My dad would freeze our backyard um, for us to skate on and, and play hockey on. Um, but, you know, most I would say most of our hockey was street hockey, you know, moving the nets, uh, the car coming, all that kind of stuff. Um, though in Boston, we did have a concrete backyard. So we were able to play in our backyard and never had to move anything for, for anyone. That was, that was a real luxury. Um, you know, and then you moved, moved to Chicago a few years after that. And, um, I can still remember 
you know, we were, we were still way into the Bruins. Uh, and we found that if we would drive down to Lake Michigan after it got dark and we were in a certain spot, we could pick up WBZ from Boston. We could listen to Bruins games because, you know, I mean, back then you didn't have those omnipresent uh, cable networks. Uh, there was there was no way I could watch the Bruins from from Chicago, except, you know, whenever they would pop up on game of the week or whatever. Um, so, you know, my dad would, it would usually just be him and me and we'd drive down there and listen to, you know, a period or so. And, um, you know, however much we could, we could pull in and mostly for just, you know, real important games. It was not something you could, you could obviously do uh, every night. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where it started. And then, uh, you know, I, I was equally as enamored of uh, baseball and football in those days too. So, you know, I, I was always playing one of those. Um, I had dice games. I would, I would play those and, you know, replay seasons, keep stats, all that kind of thing. Um, I would record play by play. I would, you know, watch games and I would have my notes and stuff, turn down the volume on the TV. And then I was the play-by-play guy talking into my little cassette recorder. I did that for, for a while. Um, you know, and then high school comes along and you, you find other things to be interested in, um, girls and, and whatnot. And, um, uh, all that kind of stuff went to the back burner a little bit, but then, you know, you, you, you start working for a living and you come home from work and you're, you're watching all that stuff. And, you know, I, I think throughout my, uh, throughout my twenties, I kind of hungered for that, that sort of, uh, I, I worked in restaurants and, 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 um, it's a team thing. You know, that was the best thing about playing sports for me was being part of a team and the competition and, you know, restaurants sort of filled that, that void a little bit. Um, it's, it's such a team thing, getting through a night in a busy restaurant, everybody's dependent on everyone else. And you sit, you know, at the end, it's, you you're satisfied over a job well done and you break it all down. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I kind of hungered w- when I moved East here, um, with, with Max mom before we got married. Um, I didn't have a job. I didn't have any. She came uh, for, for a job. She was offered a, a good job. And I, I came with her. We weren't married at the time. And um, so now, obviously, I need a job. So I'm poking around for bartending jobs because that's what I was doing there. But I, I was thinking to myself, you know what? It'd be great if if I could work in sports. But, I, I, you know, I mean, everybody thinks that. But nobody really knows, especially back then, how, how to go about doing it. So the Orioles have this winter carnival thing, um, like in January every year. And I just thought, you know what, I'll go to this thing and maybe I can, um, maybe I can find Roland Hemond. He was the general manager of the Orioles at the time. And when I was growing up, he was the general manager of the White Sox. And I love this guy. And I, I, I went there with my resume. I figured I'll hand it to this guy and we'll see what happens. I handed it to him. He was very nice. Thanked me. I figured nothing would come of it, but he actually did pass it on to um, a guy who ran a magazine called the Orioles Gazette. And that led into me now working for a baseball magazine. And um, for a year and a half, I did pretty much everything 
at one time or another. At, it was a real small shop. I learned so much from um, the guy, a guy named Bob Brown, who um, spent decades as the uh, Orioles director of uh, media relations, a fantastic guy who taught me so much. Um, the press box at Camden Yards is named after him. Um, I was really lucky to learn um, from Bob. And the magazine went under when the lockout or the strike came in 1994, but it got bought out because it was a, it had a really good subscription base. We had a com competing magazine called Outside Pitch that was sold outside the ballpark and they wanted our subscription base. So they bought the magazine. And so th in theory, they bought the employees too, but they didn't keep them all. They kind of re-interviewed all of us and they, they decided to keep me. And, and so now I'm working for a magazine company because they, they not only did that, they did some entertainment magazines, um, kind of things you find in hotel rooms, you know, what's happening around town, that kind of thing. Free magazines um, that tell you restaurants, movies, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I was writing, doing layout and design, a um, little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, and one day the guy who publishes the magazine just walks in after this lunch meeting. He goes, I don't know what I just did, but um, I just had this meeting with the, you know, this marketing guy with the, the caps and the bullets, which shows you how long ago this was. Um, he said, and, and I made a deal to, for the next four years, we're going to produce their game programs. He goes, but I don't know anything about hockey. And I kind of raised my hand and I said, I'll, I'll take That's care awesome. of it for you. I love that. And, and the, the other great thing about the time, um, you know, I was, had just gotten married. Um, we had a, a baby on the way, Max's sister. And, we, you know, you're thinking, man, how, how are we going to handle this childcare stuff? And the other thing was this little tiny studio down in uh, um, Fort McHenry area there, right across from the Science Center, actually, kind of catty corner, Federal Hill, actually. Um, beautiful place, you know, to, to work and everything. Um, but really tight as far as like, we, we didn't have any real space in there and we were growing like, like crazy now. Um, so we didn't have enough computers for us all to work on. Um, so I, I, I made an offer to my boss. I said, how about if I buy a computer at my expense? Um, and, and you let me work from home and, and I'll handle this caps thing for you. I'll, I'll go to the practices, the games, I'll, I'll write every word in that magazine if you want me to. Um, and he thought it over for a while, came back to me and said, sure, let's give it a, let's give it a go. Uh, and, and the agreement was I would go in and, and help them get the other magazines off to press. Um, so the, the only times I would actually go into the office would be days when there were, you know, we were, we were driving the, the book to the uh, printer, which again shows how long ago this, this was because, um, you know, we were pasting it up. Uh, it, it wasn't digital at the beginning. It became digital um, shortly thereafter. But, uh, you know, and the rest, as they say, is, is history. I, it, it was uh, uh, during the pandemic, uh, the, the 25th anniversary of my first game um, covering the Caps happened. It was, uh, it was a home game against uh, St. Louis, the first game of the regular season. Um, that year I was a rookie along with um, Brennan Witt and uh, Sergey Gonchar. Uh, that year. So it wow. was, uh, it was a lot of fun and it just, um, you know, I was real lucky. Everything just sort of fell into place. And, and from that point, you know, it's just work hard, just do everything you can. 
um, overperform. Um, and I hope that people notice. Um, hope that you're doing good. Try to get better. Um, and, you know, I never, at the time, you know, you're just like, okay, this is great. Hope this lasts for a while. And it did, you know, it, it lasted until the contract was up, which, like I said, was four years. And I thought, well, okay, that was fun. In the meantime, too, I got hired um, by CBS Sportsline um, to cover the Cavs, to actually to cover the whole Southeast division um, for them. So th th I was getting paid uh, not much, but a, a little something from them as well. And, you know, and I'm still working at home and I'm, I'm the uh, stay at home dad. And, and that was, you know, fantastic too. You can't, can't put a price on that. So, um, you know, like I said, I, I don't, I couldn't have scripted it uh, any better. Um, and then, you know, when the contract was up, I figured, okay, that's that uh, probably have to figure something else. And I was, I uh, had picked up an, another editing gig, um, a, a vegetarian magazine that I, that I was working for in, in, the, in that um, time as well. So I had enough, you know, but we, we were, you know, we weren't rich or anything, but you know, we were, we were doing okay. And um, I wasn't thinking about, um, you know, I was thinking, ah, I'm going to miss this, this hockey thing. And I got a call one day all of a sudden from a company I'd never heard of called Ignite Sports Media. And they said, listen, um, we just made a deal. And this was probably less than six months after, after Ted bought the team. Um, we just made a deal with um, Ted Leonsis to um, produce the uh, the Caps website, WashingtonCaps.com. And at that point, they didn't have, there was a website, but there was nothing on it. Um, we and, and somebody with the Caps told us, we shouldn't hire anyone until we talk to you. You want to come in and interview for this? Okay. So I went in and I talked to them. And by the time, you know, I was living in Baltimore at the time. So I drove to DC, got a parking ticket, went through the interview, drove home. By the time I got home, there was a message on my machine offering me the job. And I was like, sure, why not? Um, kids were, um, you know, Mac was just about ready to go off to preschool. So it, it was, you know, I felt I had kind of taken care of, of that end of it. And, you know, I was loving the commute from the bedroom to my office and, you know, going to work in shorts and sandals and stuff. But, um yeah, I had to start, you know, up in the up in the wardrobe and driving an hour plus each way. That that was that was the hard part, um, you know. And and probably within a year or so, they said, "Listen, eventually you're gonna you're gonna we're gonna probably want to send you on the road to to do road games as well." And uh, that that wound up happening. Uh, I would say probably around 2003 at first, but it wasn't every game that didn't happen until until OV got here and, and, you know, that, that's been just, you know, remarkable to, to be able to be uh, a part of all that. But, you know, like I said, when I got into it, it was just, it was a job. It was something I loved. It was great. I didn't expect it to last like, you know, like it's lasted. It's, it's been, it's been an incredible run and I'm, I'm really fortunate and really grateful. Yeah, I remember um, way back in the day when I think you were just going to home games. Um, we would sometimes watch like the away yeah. games in your office upstairs. Um, but, um, you know, obviously now um, pre-COVID times, of course, uh, going to all 82 games a year for at least, you know, I don't know how many seasons now. 
probably close to what 15 or, or something like that. Um, but, uh, what would you say, um, you know, what take us through a, a, a day in the life pre COVID it's game day. Um, what, what are things that, that you have to do on game day and leading up to puck drop that night? Is it a home or a road game? Cause that, that's a little, it's a little different. Let's go road. All right. So, um, typically the, the night before, so, so I write four, uh, four pieces for every game, two before and two after. And the first one is a, is a preview. And that, typically goes up the night before the game. Um, and usually the, the guys that I work with that we, we hang out uh, together on the road, um, we'll go out to dinner around 7, 7.15, 7.30, somewhere in that area. So we, we will typically, um, if, we're, if we're coming from home, we would arrive in the road city probably around 4, 4.30 in the afternoon. You'll have a little bit of time to finish any work or whatever, get that done, and then go out. And it, typically we go out and we have a, a bite to eat and then maybe find a sports bar, watch some hockey. That's, that's, that's standard. Um, and then you go back to your room and you, you watch late games if, if there's more, more hockey on. So sports bars were our stock and trade uh, on the road. And then in the, in the morning you're, you're getting up, um, making sure you're, you're on time, you're, you know, get dressed and all that stuff. The bus is at 10. Um, so you get down there, you know, a little before the bus, um, hop on it. You know, if, you, if you're going to grab some coffee or whatever, I, I try to just have whatever I was going to need to eat or whatever in my room um, just so that it, it, was, it allowed me to sleep longer, basically. Um, and then you're, you're on the bus, you're going to the rink, and um, you're, you're watching uh, line rushes for, for both teams, figuring out who's – Who's playing? If if they're going to show that to you, sometimes they don't show you until um, uh, just before the game during warmups. But um, you know, and, and not every team, especially now, um, not every team practices or or has a morning skate in its in its own rink. A lot of teams, Caps are one of them. Um, they do it at at their practice facility. So you know, it was great back in the day when when teams did that because when they were finished skating, you could go into the visiting room and talk to some guys. You know. For the opposite team, um, but at that point, I'm looking for nuggets, just uh, little things for the second thing I write, which is um, uh, the the morning skate uh, update, skate shavings is what we call it, and and that's you know just uh, a few thousand words on both teams. It's going to have the lineups, um, not a few thousand, but about a thousand words on on both teams. A um, little bit on, on what's going on, you know, maybe. I, I, a lot of times if, if there's nothing obvious, I would just pick a guy and focus on him, talk to him for a few minutes, you know, and I got to do the, um, the ringside update, uh, every day. So I'm communicating with the other guys that I'm working with, telling them who I need when, when the skate is over for this little five minute interview that we, that we put up on the website. And, you know, some of that stuff might also get some of those quotes might get repackaged into what I'm writing, um, as well. But, you know, typically when, when I'm working, I've got these, these pieces all sort of in my head. The only one I can't start ahead of time is the game story. Um, but the other one is the, the, the post-game notebook that comes the morning after the game. And, and that one's one that I'm just sort of making little notes as the game goes on. Um, this is maybe something that's interesting, something that I noted. 
um, something that the coach is doing, maybe line matching, some something like that. And um, I'm going to save that for, for the morning after because it's it's uh, maybe a little too big or a little too unwieldy for the uh, for the game story. Um, and then so after the uh, after the morning skates over, it's you know, then the coach talks. Um, so in Typically, you would get both coaches if if the other team is is practicing there too. Um, so you got tons of stuff, lots of sound, and now you're going back to the hotel, and right away you just go right up to the room and start digging in and transcribing it, putting pieces where they go. Um, you know, and on the bus on the way back, you're you're already thinking about the, those sorts of things. And if it's a nice day, um, or if you're in a warm city. Uh, and, and the rink's not that, or the hotel's not that far from the rink. Maybe you walk back too. Um, but uh, then you have a team lunch. The players, players go first. Um, players are in, usually in a hurry to eat and get done because uh, they want to go up to the room and take a, a nice long nap before the game and before they have to be on the on the bus to go back to the rink for the game. So if it's a seven o'clock game, you're going to have. Um, uh, two buses, uh, usually a 4.30 bus and a 5 o'clock bus, early bus, late bus. Um, you know, and, and usually I would only go on the early bus if um, if I didn't get something that morning or if um, uh, the coach was going to talk for some reason. But other other than that, there's no reason for me to uh, to do that. I would get on the late bus. And that gives me all afternoon to finish the, the – the, um, and typically, you know, just like I would – have the preview done before we went out to dinner the night before. I would typically try to have the skate shavings done before I get on the bus to go to the rink so that when I'm at the rink, I'm not under pressure to do anything. And I'm using that time usually to work ahead. You know, there's another game two days from now or maybe even the next day. Back-to-backs are, are kind of a killer because you're you're cranking out like eight pieces of about a thousand words each in you know, roughly 36 to 42 hours. So, um, but it's fun, you know, it's, it's all adrenaline and it just sort of, it just all flows and it's so cyclical, you know, the calendar becomes, it's, it's just got such a rhythm to it. Um, so it's really hard when, when the, you know, COVID intervenes and it, it was bizarre to, uh, to do all these things uh, and to still, you know, write all these pieces and put them out like around the same time, but I'm not there, right? Uh, those were the first games I missed that I wasn't present for road games um, since 2007. Um, I missed a couple of uh, I missed a couple of home games um, when Cass and Mac got confirmed. I missed one because of a snowstorm. The the Snowvetchkin game actually, the hat trick <laughs> against the Penguins. Two trees Snow fell Vetchkin. down. Uh, and blocked me from getting even out of my driveway. Um, so somebody had to come and saw those logs up just before I could even back my car out of the uh, driveway there. Uh, so I was a few days uh, away from work. And, and then I had kidney stones that uh, caused me to miss uh, uh, a Sunday afternoon game against Buffalo probably seven years ago. And that was actually the last game um, that I that I missed. Um uh, but yeah, it's um, you know, and then after the game's over, um, you're, you're you're taking notes as the game's going along. You know, this is going in the, you know, typically between periods, you're trying to work. You you can at least describe the goals, 
um, you don't know what the framework of the story is going to be, but you, you can, you know, sort of jot out how the goals happened and, you know, other little key things that, that are going to matter in the uh, deconstruction of the game. Um, and then the other things you're just sort of putting in a box. Okay, this is maybe for shavings two days from now. This is for notebook tomorrow morning. Um, you're just trying to work ahead as much as you can, whenever you can, however you can. And then we go downstairs, um, me and, and the, the, the camera guy who travels with me, the, so, the who doubles on social media. Um, we usually go down midway through the third period just to get everything in order down there. And we'll find a a TV monitor, um, or we'll go in and watch the end of the game with the trainers. Um, you, you usually time it for that last, either that second or that third TV timeout. You know, you got 90 seconds to try to make your way down, and it's you never, ever make it in time. Um, and the elevator goals are the worst. Um, you know, when you're somebody scores and you're on the elevator, you're like, God. A lot of times you, you can't even – you can't even watch it until after the game, so you're 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 going in a little bit blind if that's a if that's a key goal, um, and and if it is, sometimes you you know you just pull out your phone and figure out a way to find that find that highlight. But you know then then you're now you're trying to think of okay who do I need to talk to? What am I going to ask him? And um, you know the, the typically the, um, uh, the 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 mass media the mainstream media I just let them pick. Who, who they want to talk to because they're, they're the ones that have deadlines and stuff. So I'm fine with that. Um, nine times out of 10, uh, you tell me who I'm getting and I'll be, I'll be good with that. Occasionally, you know, like I said, maybe it only happens a couple times a year where for whatever reason, um, there's one guy that I need to talk to that, that they haven't requested. So I'll just, you know, go to the, uh, PR people and say, hey, can can I get so-and-so for two questions or whatever? Um, and then it's, you know, hustle up, um, fold up the backdrop, the coach, you know, you get the coaches and and that's like you got to put all this stuff uh, where it's going to get picked up and put on the truck and driven to the plane because we're either heading home or we're, we're off to the next city, um, you know, and it's just lather, rinse, repeat, you know, one right after the other. Next thing you know, it's, it's 20 and then it's 40 and 82 games. You're, it, it it goes by in a flash every year. I'm I'm curious if there's a a, a favorite city that you get to travel to. I know you mentioned that sports bars were kind of like yeah. you know your thing. Is there a, one restaurant in particular in a certain city that you always just kind of get excited for when you got a game over there? You know, I mean, we, there's there's a couple schools of thought on that. There's cities, yeah. There's 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 cities that we love to go to, and there's cities that we dread going to for sure. And I'm, I'm sure that you know that's that goes for the players as well. Um, you know, and it's different for you know some of them. You know, we may hate certain cities, but maybe there's a guy who's from that city, right? So. Um, it's 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 an odd dynamic sometimes. As far as the restaurants, though, that even that sort of uh, do we want to keep? You know, we're, we're we know we're going to Boston three times every two years. Do we want to keep going to the same place every time? Or you know, we, we'll go to the same sports bar a lot, but we like to switch it up for dinner. You know, and, and I I kind of have a rule. Um, I don't like to do chain restaurants. Um, 
Good rule. And the only the only time I'll break that that rule is is for the yard house because of the beer selection and because of the, they have a lot of good uh, vegetarian options too. Um, so you know, every once in a while, we'll get in a little skirmish about where we're going to eat, um, and typically we work it out. We all go to the same place, but every once in a while, we we wind up you know splitting up, and you know sometimes you know a guy might have a friend in in town and and go eat with them and meet up later at the sports bar, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, th there are favorite places. Um, as far as the best hockey bar, I think, you know, one of my favorite ones is actually in Tampa Bay of all places it's called hat tricks and, uh, you know, great food. My parents loved, uh, going there when they would come down. Um, they would spend winters in, in Florida and they would drive down to Tampa for those games. And they always wanted to go to hat tricks because the food was good. Um, you know, there was all kinds of memorabilia on the walls and stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was a good place to hang out, but yeah, cities, Vancouver is hands down for me, the best. It's just so beautiful. And when you're flying in there, it's, it's almost like you can reach out the, uh, the plane windows and, and touch the mountains and, and, you know, the weather, even when it's raining, um, it's, it's temperate. I, I love Vancouver. Um, but there's a lot of really good cities on the, uh, circuit you know we get in arguments sometimes like I, I work with a lot of guys who really hate columbus i love columbus i've had so much uh fun in columbus as far as dining and you know the other thing i like to do is go see live music so i'm always looking for for shows um you know you hope you get lucky that one night you're off in a town there's somebody something there that you're excited to see and that's that's worked out for me a couple of times in columbus um so yeah I, everybody's got one, one city, you know, I work with a guy who loves St. Louis mostly because, uh, he was, he was born there and, and grew up there. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of trash talking about that, that too, you know, where you're from and, um, you know, what you like and what you don't like. And it's, it's, it's all part of the fun. Nick, I think you, Looked like you were about to fire question off. Yeah, I you know, I was gonna piggyback off of what Harrison said, you know, about if you guys had, you know, favorites, you know, you know, favorite city or whatnot. Is there like a favorite facility that you enjoy working in the most? Uh whether it be like, you know, the their arena, their practice facility, whatever on the road, uh the, just one that stands out to you more than others? Yeah, there's there's a bunch of them. There's a lot of really great ones, but I, I for me, the one the one that always um you know is reverential is uh, bell center in uh, montreal uh, it's just a great place great atmosphere the fans are nuts um it's a it's a huge building but the best part of it from the media standpoint is they have this um uh it's it's a it's a gondola that, that circles the uh the entirety the, the whole rink and that's where the media is so instead of like um the press boxes in most places, including at cap one, you're, you're kind of pitched back from, from the ice surface. You're pretty far away. Um, not so in uh, Montreal, you're basically looking right down on the ice. You're, you walk down the staircase and then you're out on a, you're, you're, it's similar to a catwalk, but it's obviously a little sturdier and safer. It's, you still, you know, some guys get a little freaked out by it, but um, it's, uh, the view can't be beat the atmosphere everywhere you walk in there. There's these incredible 
photographs on the wall from, you know, Rocket Richard, Jean Beliveau, all these, you know, Canadian greats of yesteryear. Their um, their uh, in-game presentation is is pretty spot on. That's true for most of the uh, the original six teams. Um, so so that's one for sure that I that I uh, love going to. Um, but yeah, there's there's uh, there's a number of them that are that are pretty special, and you know some of the new ones that that are opening up uh, too are. Um, it, that that's always cool too when when they open it. the one in Detroit is pretty great. Um, the, uh, I would the, recommend the, anybody to the to, pizza box, right? It's yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's it's um, it's not near Joe, the Joe was on the river, and and this is more in in town. But you can you can picture um, this place. I, I think is going to help that area of Detroit in in similar way that cap one helped that area of DC when it opened 23 years ago, there's been a huge difference in the surrounding area of, you know, sixth and F street in Washington over the last quarter of a century. And you can absolutely see uh, a similar uh, thing unfolding over the, uh, the coming decades in Detroit. I'm curious too, you talked a little bit about um, different like press box views, but um, I think that's something that's always been interesting to me is, is that, you know, the people that we trust to cover the game and, and tell the world about the game are, are the ones that are sitting probably the farthest away in the entire arena in most cases. Um, but, you know, like, obviously, it for free though too. obviously well, that's true obviously it's different in every arena but um for the most part do you do you feel like you can see things pretty well from the press box and and have a good idea of what's going on or what's that like yeah most of them there's there's one exception which i'll, I'll tell you about um san jose um there, there's a couple of buildings that for whatever reason they don't have press boxes nobody thought to build one and San Jose is one of those. Um, actually, the old Cap Center was the same way. Um, I'm told that when, when Abe Poland opened that place up and was proudly showing it off, somebody said, where's the press box? He's like, hmm, we, we might have forgot about that. So they actually had to repurpose three or four rows of seats and build like plywood. They, the, the press box at, um, Cap, at the uh, USA Arena was – in the seats there were three rows that used to be seats that were repurposed with plywood to make sort of a makeshift press box um madison square garden before the uh rehab was the same way there were two press boxes and they were both in the seats um and that was that was kind of dicey sometimes because a lot of times your your general manager is, is sitting in the press box and um i've seen some some things there uh, <laughs> in the playoffs with uh, you know fans and the opposing general manager, um, but yeah, San Jose, uh, Nashville's another one that no press box and they they kind of did the same thing where they re repurposed some seats. San Jose didn't do that. They you, you walk all the way up to the rafters. They basically built a press box in the rafters. So now this is tough. You're you're looking around beams and wires and you're leaning. And you know you get up there and it's 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 pretty bizarre, um, but it's it's a great building. Other than that, you know the the, the fans are are mad. Um, that's that's the one quirky thing uh, about that. And and the Calgary building is is pretty old. 
And um, the funny thing about that place is it's got a gondola too, where, you know, you're, you can look right down on the ice and they've got uh, electronic media on one side and print media on the other. And there's this real shaky catwalk that you can walk across the ice above the surface, above the scoreboard. So it used to be, you know, I would do these uh, uh, first period uh, intermission radio interviews and I would do pregame too. So you, you'd be, you have to walk back and forth and it's, it's a little, it's a, it's a little freaky to, uh, to be walking on that and, and looking down, even if you're not looking down. But once I remember um, doing it before the game, I don't know if you've ever seen this on TV or anything, but like right as part of their game opening and their presentation, they've got the lights go out and they, they shoot these flames, these actual flames. And you can feel the heat from these things. And so I'm walking across and this thing's sort of, you know, it's a little wobbly anyway. And all of a sudden the lights go down and poof, here comes the flames. You're like, you know, it's like, okay, I got to remember not to time my walk back so, so that I have to deal with those flames again. So I was real careful with that um, after that. But most places, you know, we, we can see what we need to see. And you've always got replays. And, you know, rare is the thing anymore that you, you, can, you can write about without, you know, watching it a couple of times anyway. Everything's kind of nuanced and you want to, you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're giving everybody who's involved in the play, the benefit of the doubt, you know, was this a great play or did that guy get schooled? Which is it? That, that sort of thing. What would I have done? What could I have done? What could anybody have done? Um, that sort of thing. You want to try to be fair about it. So you, you watch it a couple of times. This, um, you know, this franchise that you've been with for so long has been blessed with the amount of talent that we've seen in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. We've been fortunate enough to watch, in my opinion, is the greatest goal scorer to ever play the game. Um, aside, you know, from obviously Ovi, there's been so many great players in this organization since you've been a part of it. What are some of the ones that stand out to you um, that you just got to watch day in and day out that just amazed you? Well, I think, you know, like you said, uh, Nick, the, the last the last decade, we've been real fortunate in that, you know, when it's all said and done, um, 20 years from now, whenever you you look back at the, um, the period from, you know, 2010 to, to now, you could probably argue that the best goaltender, Braden Holpe, the best defenseman, John Carlson, the best center, Nick Backstrom, and the best winger, Alex Ovechkin of this franchise's history, we're all on on the team at the same time, and so it was a, it was the end of an era when when uh, Holpe left to to, to sign with uh, Vancouver. Um, so I really think, and you know, we talked about it a lot all the time. Um, enjoy it while you while you can, because it won't last forever, and we all know that uh, it won't. But uh, I think we're real privileged to be able to watch all of those guys. Uh, at the same time, but, you know, even going back, um, Peter Bonder was an amazing talent. Uh, Adam Oates was an amazing talent. Dale Hunter for what he did. Uh, not, not too many people did what he did <laughs> better than he did it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of guys that, uh, that I've been really, uh, fortunate to see Tom Wilson too. I would include, um, you know, there's a guy who, you know, it, Every, everybody wants that guy, and there just aren't enough of them to go around. Um, 
so there, there are, um, you know, I've been real fortunate to see, uh, you know, a lot of really uh, one of a kind type of players. And, and, you know, so is the fan base. And we, we tried to drive that home that enjoy it while it lasts because uh, it's uh, fleeting like everything else. Yeah, it really is. I mean, Tom Wilson, you're right. It's just such a one of a kind player. I mean, I, I would lose my mind if I didn't have a player like him on my team. It just must be so frustrating to root against. I, I wish everyone could see the <laughs> smirk on your face right now. I don't want to hear it. You know, it, it goes back to when I was a kid. There, my favorite player was Derek Sanderson. And, and there's a lot of, you know, they didn't play the same position. Sanderson was the center. Um, there's a lot of the same uh, qualities, just, you know, really uh, effective at getting under your skin. Um, great trash talker, but also really, really good, really smart, really skilled player uh, who, who knows the game um, pretty well and, and, you know, uh, can perform as well. Do you by chance have um, not necessarily a favorite? It could be, I guess, but a favorite player or someone who always has fascinated you that's not a member of the Caps organization when you were traveling on the road? Was there someone who caught your eye? I mean, you know, I was asked this w- once a few years ago, probably 10 years ago. Somebody said, who's, who's your favorite player that's not on the Caps? And I answered, at the drop of a hat. Now he's on the caps. It was, it was TJ Oshie. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's always guys that, that, that catch your eye, you know, there's, there's probably one or two, uh, on every team where you, you, you're watching them. You're like, yeah, that guy, he could play for me. He could play for me anytime. Um, you know, whether it's just how smooth and effortlessly they skate, um, how diligent they are in front of the net, um, how competitive they are, uh, between the pipes, uh, depending on position, um, you know, and, and then, you know, also in the old days when we would go into the uh, opposing locker room, like I said, those, those opportunities don't present themselves nearly as much anymore. Um, and you get a chance to talk to guys, um, you know, that, that was when you, you would, um, especially, you know, with a guy like say Tom Wilson from, from the opposite team perspective, you, you, you maybe hate this guy, but you talk to him a little bit. You can't hate them, you know. Most hockey players are really awesome humans, um, and so yeah, there were uh, Mike Madonna was always awesome to talk to, um, and was a guy that I loved uh, to watch play too. Uh, you know, and the fact that he was you know one of the best American players of his era uh, too. But yeah, the Dallas room uh, we used to love to go into that that room because Marty Turco was was awesome. Um, Mike Madonna, Trevor Daly was was a great. Great interview. The Atlanta room was great um, back in the day when they were still when they were still there. Um, Dustin Bufflin is is good to talk to. Andre Pavlik is is one of the best uh, you know goalie interviews of of, uh, of that era for sure too. So yeah, there's always um, you know and watching um, just watching uh, this year not being there um, watching on TV. You see a guy like Nick Suzuki. For, for Montreal, um, you know, there, there's guys on that Tampa team. I mean, Braden Point, we saw Braden Point playing in this rookie tournament that, that we used to play in with uh, Tampa, Florida, and um, Nashville. Uh, and you could see, you know, this was before he even got to the NHL. You could just see that this guy was going to be a real handful uh, someday. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of cool to see that that sort of thing. And I've been lucky to, you know, 
I, I got to cover the world championships in um, um, Grand Forks, North Dakota, 15 years ago when Crosby and Ovechkin were, were playing in that oh tournament God. in Malkin. That's and, unreal. Um, uh, Chris Bork, you know, tons of players. Corey Perry was in the, uh, I, I think Getzlaff was on that team as well. It was, that was a, one of the better Canadian teams ever uh, that, that won the gold. I guess it was 2005. Um, you know, I get to cover the world championships in Moscow uh, one year and, and, you know, going over to, to Europe with the Stanley cup a couple of summers ago, twice, two separate trips was, you know, just a, a huge career highlight. So there have been a moment where it's, you know, player, coach, broadcaster, what have you, where you've encountered them and you've just been completely starstruck. Like maybe it was like an old Bruins player from back in the day. Has that ever happened to you at all? No, not really. Um, you know, and, and probably because I was never, you know, I had my favorites and stuff when I was a kid, but I was never like an autograph hound or, you know, I, I always kind of realized that they're just like me, except better at hockey, you know, so I, I never really, um, but, but there are some guys that, you know, that have that certain something that like you can tell when they're, they're in the room, you know, and Gretzky was one of those, Fedorov was one of those, Ovechkin is one of those, um, there, there are those guys that have that, that just sort of have that, that commanding presence, and it's, it's pretty rare, but, um, no, you know, everybody's been so great. Um, like Doc Emmerich, um, you know, who, who just retired after a magnificent career, just, you know, this guy had time for everybody and, uh, and everybody wanted a little bit of Doc time too. So, uh, you know, much respect for, for him. Um, that's the kind of guy that, that I think, uh, you know, some people would have that feeling around and, and he would right away just take you right, you know, bring you right in and say, Hey, it's all, it's all good. He was, he was one of a kind, just, you know, um, uh, you know, terrific ambassador for, for the game of hockey for sure. So I actually met doc for a brief second and I almost choked on my own saliva. I got so excited. It was, it, he, he's just like so full of energy. Like you yeah. can see it. And it, it, it was on an elevator after uh game one of the 2016 cup finals between uh, the pens and the sharks. And he got in the elevator at like 1am and no, nobody like, it was a packed elevator. Nobody had like the guts to ask for like a selfie or anything. They just let him go because it's he's so contagious. Like it was, he just lit up the whole elevator. It's funny you mentioned him. Yeah, he's awesome. I was uh, gonna gonna bring things back uh, earlier. We were talking about you know different arenas and, and newer arenas that are uh, being made and, and that kind of stuff. Obviously, we're gonna have a brand new arena and brand new NHL franchise soon with the Seattle yeah. Kraken. Um, what are your first kind of impressions of that organization and, and what do you expect for them both, you know, as the organization and also as a team, do you expect them to be competitive right away? Like Vegas is, or what do you, what do you think about them so far? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, Vegas sort of, they set the framework, laid the groundwork for how a modern expansion team, uh, can, can be right off the bat. And, and certainly let, let's be upfront and honest about this the league has made it real easy for and, and I, easy is probably the wrong word to use because there's nothing about this game that's easy but they've made it um 
they've they've greased the skids for for expansion teams compared to um, you know what the Cavs had to deal with in, in 1974, which was you know a train wreck <laughs> of a situation yeah. in, in in a a zillion different ways. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's probably as it should be. But, um, you know, I think they went to school on what Vegas did. Um, but also I think they're, they seem to be committed to putting their own stamp and their own personality and their own, um, brand on, on everything that they do. Uh, I love the hiring. They, they've got probably the most diverse um, staff, top to bottom, so far. They've they've hired um, a number of different people. Um, they, they, they've not been constrained by that old boy network. They're, they're not, okay, this guy, this guy. Nothing's been automatic with them. They've done a lot of thinking outside of the box. Um, and their arena has been there, I think, since – 1962. It's same year that the the Baltimore Arena uh, was built. And you, you can imagine. I mean, I think. Uh oh. <laughs> no, Mac. You've seen a, a couple of preseason NHL games, or at least one there. Yeah. And those were um, fiascos. I um, imagine these two probably were at one or, one or two of those games as well. If I had to. You know, and, and and yep. It it takes a lot of work to to retrofit um, a, a play, and and that that's what they did. So I'm anxious to see. Um, how they did that and how it looks. I, I was never in that building. I've never even been to Seattle. Um, but yeah, I'm anxious to see what they do. And, and I'm anxious to see too, one, when the draft rolls around and they actually start the, the actual team building process, what elements of what George McPhee did in Vegas, will they embrace and what elements will they stray a little bit from that? you know, one of the things, um, that George did was he didn't take any term. Um, any, any players that they had at the beginning were all on like last year of the contract or, you know, just one or two years. He didn't, you know, he wasn't a lot, a lot of times um, that that's where expansion teams make mistakes. You know, see a guy who's 30 years old, fan favorite, got four or five years left on his contract. Yeah, let's get him. He's a name. He'll sell some tickets, but he won't help you win. So, uh, I, I think they they were really smart about the way they went about building that team, and I'm certain, um, just given from the the people that they've hired, as you know, I've got some friends, um, former Caps coworkers, um, Tim Ohashi and, and and Mike Bowie, um, who I love dearly, who are you know gone to to Seattle now, and and a guy named Lamont Buford, who I've known for a long time, is a terrific dude. Um, who worked in Hershey uh, for years as their uh, game entertainment guy. And then he went to St. Louis and now he's the head guy in, in Seattle. So um, I got friends out there already and, and, and that's pretty cool, but I'm anxious to see um, what they do um, and how the building looks. Cause I got to say, you know, we're going to have a new building in Long Island here uh, pretty soon, but uh, I never thought I would be back in the Coliseum when I left there. Um, after the Caps won or actually lost game six of the playoff series a few years ago, but then won game seven here. Um, and I figured I would never be back there again. And, you know, here we go. We're back because the Brooklyn thing didn't work out uh, as expected. And you, you would not recognize that place. It's still not my favorite. And, and part of that um, uh, goes back to just what's around there and, 
it's 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 just a it's just a weird area um, for 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 a rink, and there's there's not much to do uh, around there. But um, as far as the view, you can't beat it. Um, you just got to watch your head when you stand up; otherwise, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna walk out of there with a concussion <laughs> if you walk out of there. Uh, let's get. I'm curious to hear your take on uh, probably what most of the listeners are most curious to hear about is the the caps preview for this coming year. I mean, obviously, there's a couple things up in the air with you know the number of games when we're starting training camp, all that good jazz. But uh, there's obviously be, been some key departures that you touched on earlier. What is your expectation for the caps this upcoming season? Well, I mean, I expect them to compete for a playoff spot and, and hopefully get in. Um, and after that, see what happens, right? That's kind of in the, in the modern game today, that's, that's all you can do. Um, you're, the goal has to be winning the cup. Um, but before you can do that, you got to get in the playoffs. And, um, you know, the way things went the last couple of years, um, I don't really like the way that the defense looked or played, um, uh, or the, the way that, I shouldn't say the defense, the, the team defense. They didn't keep the puck out of their net um, to the degree. And even, you know, the, the year that they won the cup, that was not going well in that regard at all. And they somehow flipped the switch there over the last 15, 20 games after the, the Kempney trade and, and kept it going throughout the playoffs. But uh, they haven't been able to sort of recapture that. And, you know, they had that year, um, I guess it was the year before that, I think it was 16, 17, where I think they won the Jennings Trophy or allowed the fewest goals in the league. That's that's where you need to be. You know, they're an outlier in that the year they won the Cup, they're one of the few teams in the last 20 years that hasn't been like a top 10 goals against team during the regular season. Typically, those are your teams that are one of those teams. You know, nine times out of 10, all you got to do is look at those 31, soon to be 32 teams, and look at one through 10 and goals against. Odds are one of those teams is going to be your your cup winner. Caps beat that. The, the Pens have have skirted that uh, on more than one occasion, I think, and the, the Hurricanes uh, in in 05, 06. But other than that, over the last thirty years, there's not too many uh, of those. So it's an outlier that when when you can't keep the puck out of your net and you, and you win the cup, you can't count on uh, count on it happening. So uh, I'm excited to see what happens with them. Um, you know, Peter Laviolette and Kevin McCarthy coming in this year. Those guys have worked together for a number of years. Um, they've got a great track record, especially in their first um, first season, first full season with teams. Their first full season in Carolina, they won the Cup. Their first uh, season in Philadelphia, they got to the final. Um, and they had Michael Layton as, as their, their goaltender. Who knows? You know, they got, they got to the Cup final, took the Hawks to six games. If, if they'd had some goaltending, um, maybe that turns out differently. And they got uh, to the cup final with the Preds. I think that was their first season there um, yep. as well. So first or second season. So th- that, but, um, you know, excited to see what happens with um, the additions on on defense. Um, I think what they need to figure out is, or what they never seemed to figure out last season, um, and really the season before, was which partners complemented each other um who who plays best with whom and um you know adding Ledoux and Schultz and Van Riemsdyk gives them some more options and I think you know 
it's going to be interesting to me how this plays out as far as if they're going to try to fit 56 games into a real short period of time, if we're going to have a lot more of three and four. Um, you know, we've seen the era of specialization in baseball um, where you, teams carry so many pitchers and, you know, move guys on and off the roster. And we're, we're going to, we want, um, we got openers now. We got, uh, you know, guys that are only needed for, for a couple of innings off the top, uh, middle guys, whatever. I wonder if having a, a number of defensemen, and, and there's some, now some talk about, you know, the roster maybe expanding to 25 guys. I'm not sure how they would do that. Uh, given the salary cap, they might have to have some like non-roster exemption uh, or non-uniform exemptions or something like that. But I wonder if, um, you know, having eight or nine defensemen used to be a real problem carrying more than seven. Um, but because just because you can't keep them all active, but, you know, maybe you got a guy who is really good penalty killer and you got a team with a killer power play coming in. All right, we're going to address this guy for for these two games or whatever. And then you know maybe you want a guy who can move the puck. You got a team who's got a really strong forecheck. Well, we got a guy who's makes a good first pass and, and is really good in his own end. Maybe that's the guy you're going to address for that game. I wonder if we'll start to see that sort of thing. So I'm, that's one of the things I'm looking for, just sort of an overall thing from this season. But you know when you look at the Caps. They're obviously going to be one of the older teams in the league, probably one of the older teams in their division, um, their bubble, whatever we wind up, however we wind up delineating these eight-team groups um, that, that teams are going to be in and, and the seven-team uh, Canadian group. And, you know, they're going to be in a group probably with a bunch of talented young players. That's the thing. When you look about um, – you look around the league, there's been a huge influx of talent that's come into the Metro division over the last four or five years, because it, those teams like Carolina and the Rangers and the Devils um, have been drafting, you know, they've been, they've been getting a lot of top five, a lot of lottery picks. You get a guy like Svechnikov in um, uh, Carolina. You got Capo Caco in, in New York. Um, you've got um, Isher in uh, uh, New Jersey. And before the concussion, Nolan Patrick in uh Philadelphia. So you had a lot, a lot of guys coming in, um, you know, first or second, third overall. Um, and you, you can't really keep up with that when you're picking in the twenties um, every year, or you don't, you know, you traded away your first round pick to try to get into the playoffs or give your, your star players the best chance to, to win another cup. So at some point, you know, that's all going to catch up. Um, so, you know, when you're watching the caps and you're talking about their future, or, you know, even this season, you're hoping that these guys who are on the other side of 30 now, that, that they've, they've still got something left in the tank. And you're hoping that the guys who are still on the, the good side of 30, the Wilsons and the Veranas and the Kuznetsovs, you're hoping that they can take their game up to another level. Um, and as long as you can keep that, that trending, um, you're going to have a chance. You just need to not have all those 30-something guys fall off at the same time. If one of them does, you can probably finesse your way around it, um, you know, just in, in managing his ice time, um, finding someone else to uh, um, fit in 
And, you know, the Caps have had a good track record of pulling guys off the scrap heap and getting a little little mileage out of them. A guy like Brett Connolly was a great example. Um, Alex Chase on to a lesser degree. And I think they're kind of hoping that maybe Daniel Sprong um, can, can be a guy who can uh, fit into their bottom six somewhere. Um, maybe he's the guy who can play on that line with um, Eller and Hagelin. Um, the Kovalchuk thing didn't really work out. Um, it looked promising there at the beginning, but in the playoffs, it, 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 it didn't have any legs. And um, uh, I think, you know, speed is so important in this game now. So for me, the Caps, um, their, their fortunes this season are going to hinge on the 30-something guys staying somewhere near their established levels, not falling off too much all at once, and certainly not all of them falling off. It's been remarkable what Ovi's been able to do at his age. Um, so you need him and Nick and um, John Carlson, and, and, you know, those guys who've gotten past 30 to, to kind of keep it going, and you need those younger guys. And, you know, cost-controlled guys, any, anytime you can have players pushing their way up uh, on entry-level contracts, that that's really what sustains. Uh, you you got to have those guys, especially with the cap, looking like it's going to be flat here for uh, a while to come. Uh, so so I think that that's going to be important. And then just you know how what what impact is the Laviolette McCarthy tandem going to have on that defense and um, being able to find who's the best partner for John Carlson. Who's the best partner for Dmitry Orlov? What's the best top four? How do we handle the rest of these guys? Because I could see them carrying uh, potentially eight defensemen if, if there aren't any trades uh, between now and the start of the season. Goaltending, you got to hope that Ilya Samsonov is, is you know what you saw last season and that he's capable of shouldering a, a heavier workload of 50 to 60 starts. Um, you know, And then you, you just hope that Lundqvist can – can push him and help him and, and deliver those games. Uh, you know, and, and you know, he's competitive, you know, he wants, he still sees himself as, as the number one guy. And I think that's a really uh, healthy thing too. So, um, you, you know, he's going to be motivated. So, um, but that's where it all starts. You've got to have the goaltending and, and you've got to have some structure and some, um, some ability to beat those four checks um, forechecking and speed really right now are the name of the game. And the Caps really had a lot of trouble um, dealing with really good forechecking teams at, at times and, and certainly did in the playoffs against the Islanders last year. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, no, I mean, the Islander thing is spot on. It was just, it was appallingly evident how lacking they were in that area, um, I think, as we all saw that series unfold. When you look at the additions that this team made in the offseason, I think it's sort of easy to go ahead and say that the one behind the bench is probably the most significant. Maybe you could argue the Hank one is as well. What do you think that Laviolette and McCarthy bring behind the bench that maybe the Caps haven't gotten in a head coach before? Well, I think, you know, everybody who's behind that bench, everybody who's a head coach, um, I, I've never been, and I think I've, I think Laviolette will be my 10th, 10th one, maybe. I, I've been around a lot of them. They've all 
they're all smart guys. They all know the game. Um, I don't know that that a coach, a really good team, uh, the most important thing a coach does is is prepare, make sure that his his players are prepared, and, and there's probably some motivation in there too. Um, but I, I think that Laviolette's a guy who's been at it for a long time. You know, he's he's twenty years. Uh, pretty much, you know, with a couple little gaps in between a head coach and the NHL. Um, Todd Reardon was a first-time coach. Um, Bruce Boudreaux was a first-time coach. Dale Hunter, Adam Oates, first-time coach. Glenn Hanlon. Uh, you know, I've only worked under a few guys, Schoenfeld, Wilson, and Barry Trotz, who had jobs before. And you can see the difference. Um, a great example is Bruce Cassidy. When he, when he was coaching the Caps, Good guy, knew his stuff, knew the game, um, but he he would probably tell you that he wasn't quite ready for prime time at that time. And he went back and he paid his dues as an assistant, coached in Providence for a long time. I think he's actually one of the better coaches around um, right now. And you know, a lot, a lot of people around here still vilify. There's there's a couple of Caps villains. I would say Yager and, and Bruce Cassidy are probably the two from, from the last 20 years. And uh, I honestly, you know, I, I think it's just wasted, um, you know, people mature, you know, um, both of those guys were um, kind of admitted to their, you know, their, their times in Washington being far less than what they hoped for and wanted. Um, and, and, you know, did some soul searching as to why. And um, I think that's all you can ask for. And I think that, you know, both of those guys are, are, we know Yags, but um, I think Bruce is kind of at the top of his profession now um, as well. But um, so I think experience um, certainly matters uh, at, at that spot. Um, but I think he, he knows that not everybody responds. You know, some guys need a kick in the ass. Some guys need a hug. And you're a coach, you figure out which guy needs what, and and that's what, you know, that's that's what you deliver. Um, we are getting a little long here, so we'll wrap it up pretty soon. But a uh, couple couple more questions. I know one thing that um, probably the listeners want to hear about, and that we're all interested in as well, is um, you know we talked a little bit about 2018, and um, you know I'm curious a little bit. Uh, just what it's like as, you know, a media member, um, and obviously the game is completely out of your control, but, but being in a situation, um, for the first time since 1998, where, okay, you're in the cup final and, uh, the team you're covering has a real shot here to win. What, obviously I think 1998 was that your first year, like full time covering the caps or. No, I mean the the first year I covered the Caps was ninety five ninety six. So I actually sat through that four uh, four overtime um, Peter Nedved game, um, my first uh, first year covering the Caps. So you know I'd been through watching them, uh, and, you know, and I wasn't traveling in those days either. You know, I was just going to the home games, and uh, same with the ninety eight team. You know that that was a great run. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the playoffs were 
you know, a real thrill. Um, but, you know, once they lost that lead in the third period of game two, you kind of had a feeling that they were not going to win that series. And, you know, they wound up getting swept. And the atmosphere was different, too. You know, the, you know it was the first year of the, the new building downtown and hadn't found its footing. People were kind of afraid to come downtown. Um, so there were a lot of Red Wings fans there. It was, it was nothing like, uh, what happened in, in 2018. And so, you know, you watch these guys, you get to know them, you see, um, you know, what they go through year in and year out, you know, the rebuild, uh, you go through some bad years there in the, uh, um, leading, which leads you to draft. Uh, Ovechkin, and then there's a couple more lean years, and, and all of a sudden the team's starting to ramp up, and then you got you know all kinds of heartbreaks uh, along the way. Whether it's um, you know the Montreal series when they won the President's Trophy and were up three to one and didn't get it done, and that's the first round, you know. And then there were you know the, some great series against the Rangers that that didn't go their way, and you know series against the Penguins that didn't go their way. So you know it. it you're not carrying any of that weight, but you're, you're living day in and day out with the guys who are. And, um, you know, some of it's fair, some of it's not fair, but it's part of the gig. And so you always know in the back of your mind that, wow, if these guys ever do it, it's going to be something, it's going to be special. So you always root for the story, right? And, and that would be the best story. So that's kind of what you're hoping happens. You know, you try to stay, objective about about everything and and for the most part you do you know you know when i when i go into that room um if they, if they just get knocked out of the playoffs it's a kick in the gut for them um it's not a kick in the gut for me i have to i have to do my job now their job's over um so that that's the only way to look at it um but you want you know you want these guys to to get what they've been working for 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 years so yeah you're you're kind of hoping that that works out for him so when they won in pittsburgh um that was different that that felt different and it was you know it was like i said we come downstairs so we're, we're downstairs at the end of the game um and that one went into overtime and you know when you're downstairs in overtime in the playoffs it's it's crazy time you're just, you're just pacing. You're just, you know, you can't, you can't write because you don't know you've already, there's, you know, you're just taking notes, this save, this scoring chance, this penalty, you know, these are the things that somebody could have won the game, but, but then you're, you're just kind of keeping a, uh, and, and, you know, we, we were all kind of crammed into the, um, we were crammed into the coaches, uh, the video coaches room. Uh, because we had been in there when Lars Eller scored in uh, Columbus in the first round. So it's there's a lot of superstition, right? So, okay, we're getting, you know, it's a different building, but we're still, that's where we're going. So we're in there and, um, you know, Backstrom was injured. So he was in there. Wilson was suspended. He was in there. Um, there were a couple other guys there. It was, it's a tiny little room and we're all just crammed in there. And, you know, we're watching on this, this TV screen and two guys are working. The video coaches, they're entering all this data. So we're trying not to, you know, 
we're talking and stuff, but we're trying not to, you know, make a ruckus or, you know, disturb them because this is a workplace too. Um, but then the goal and, you know, these guys are all jumping up and down and hugging each other and everything. Me, I just right by the door, just out the door exit. And you're just like, that's great. Good for them. You know, but you, there's no jumping up and down or hugging people for me. Not, not there, not then. Cause I got to go to work now. So now I'm in the hallway and, and just, you know, watching the guys come off the ice and celebrating and you know that, so that, but that was, you know, when that happened, you're like, holy shit, that's only half of them. Still got to get eight more. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. So, and you got Tampa waiting for you. So, I mean, that, I think that the time that I was most fearful other than that game three in Columbus, <laughs> double overtime, that was, I mean, you're just like, eh, this, this is it. Like, they lose this game, Barry's gone, and the series is over. Um, but once they won that that Pittsburgh game, really the only wrote, the only hump then was was Game Six of the uh, Lightning series. I think if they won Game Six, they were going to win Game Seven. That was the way that was the way I was looking at it. I didn't think they were. I didn't think they were going to. Game Six worried me, but once they played the way they did in Game Six. I didn't think they were going to lose game seven. And they didn't. And then, yeah. You know, you get to the final, anything can happen. And the, and the worst part of, about that is you just, it, it just dawned. I don't think I had been around long enough to realize this when in 98, it, it was, there was sort of a, a sense on my part, I'm not pushing this onto the players or anything, but on my part, fortunate to get here. Good, good to, to get this far. Should be happy to be here. That wasn't the case in, in 2018, of course. Um, but you're thinking, oh man, if they don't win this, holy shit, because they got this close, they came this far, and now you're gonna have you, you get you get everything that the team that wins gets. You get the short summer, but you get no ring, you get no parade, you get no cup day, you get no 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 name on the cup. It's it's like finishing second in a in a high stakes poker hand. It's the worst place to be because you're all in, all your money's in there, and and you're getting you're getting nothing. So that was a real realization that that had never really dawned on me before um, because you know that's nine months. That's like nine months of grinding and grueling, and you feel bad for Vegas at that point. Eh. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't think I don't think <laughs> Nick has made it very clear he did not feel bad. At <laughs> it, no, it was their time. It was not Vegas this time. Yeah, you have no, to put your dues in a little bit more than a full season before yeah, you that, can. I mean, there was that too. You know, you're thinking, can this really be? <laughs> is the team the team that won eight years from from its you know that won eight games in its first year and then went eight years without making the playoffs? Will they really lose the Stanley Cup final to a team that's in its first year? That would be very, very unjust, um, but it didn't work out that way. I kind of died a little inside when you talked about the game six of Pittsburgh. It's okay. I'm happy for you. You, you had your uh, – Yeah, you I did. For the, you know, for the <laughs> listeners, it, it was as painful as my facial expression was, but it's okay. I'm happy for you guys. So, uh, I don't know. You guys have any other lingering questions you wanted to add? 
No, I just wanted to say a big thank you. I mean, we, we really do appreciate your time and your insight, and we hope to get you on again soon. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's always yeah. fun to talk the game, especially when we don't have it around to uh, yeah. you know, occupy our time, but hopefully soon. Yep. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Uh, I've been following you for a long time, so this is pretty cool. Well, thanks again. Yeah, really enjoy you guys' show, too. I've listened to a few of the, few of the episodes. Uh, I'm glad you guys are having fun with it, and I wish you all the best going forward. Thanks. Awesome. So that should conclude our interview segment here. And uh, big thanks to my dad, Mike Vogel, for joining us. Big thanks to Mike Vogel for uh, joining us. That was a lot of fun. Uh, just, yeah. you know, especially as, you know, growing up a Caps fan and, you know, sort of hearing him talk through everything, uh, you know, from, you know, the days at the MCI Center to the to the cup run uh, was just super cool. And uh, I think the insight he has and, you know, the stuff that he talked to us about before and after the interview is just, you know, you can learn so much from a guy like that. So huge thanks to him uh, for joining us. If you listen to our ep- episode with Zach Fucali, you know about his sports company, Living Sisu. Living Sisu gives you access to over 100 sports-related discounts from their partners. It's free, and you'll have the opportunity to join a great sports community. Sisu means determination, resilience, tenacity, and perseverance. If you even like sports a little bit, it's a no-brainer to join from their website, livingsisu.com, or from ours, emptybetters.com. Check it out and follow them on Instagram at living.sisu today. Speaking of Mr. Fucali, saw on his Insta story he was heading up to D.C. for training camp. Best of luck to him. We're rooting for you. Yep, he's got. I saw he had to like quarantine for seven days basically before camp started. I mean that has to suck, but you know, yeah. I guess this is just the new norm for them now. Yeah, it kind of seems like that. I mean, I I was listening to uh, the Chicklets interview with Kirby Doc, and they, he was basically saying how they quarantine in their own room with no roommates they can't even play cards together see that's the thing i don't get though is because they're on the bench next to each other for 60 minutes anyways and then they're in the locker room next yeah. to each other for you know another 15 minutes hacking up loogies yeah spit, exactly sweat, so it's like really you can't have them isolate together i guess they're maybe they're worried that it like if one of them gets it they can sort of just like isolate them and i'm not even but, gonna try to make sense yeah, at this same. point there's uh, i give up yeah exactly so Yep. Uh, best of luck to Fucali. NHL training camp starts up next week, I believe, right after the new year. So like I mentioned at the start of the episode, uh, we're going to have some more coming, um, but definitely with some season previews, gambling picks, award predictions, all that good jazz. We'll be having all that come at you guys, and uh, hopefully we'll have Mac with us too so that we can record it live. We love doing that. I think it sounds better. Mr. Alarm over here. <laughs> um but yeah, I think that does it for episode 54. Is there anything else that you would want to add? No, I think that's it. All righty. We'll be on the lookout for episode 55 dropping later this week. We appreciate the love and support. Go check out www.emptybetters.com. There might have been one more W in there than there actually is. I don't know. I'm kind of buzzing Internet on Internet.emptybetters.com. Internet. <laughs> the interweb at Empty Betters. Uh, but thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, without further ado. Class dismissed.